Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How'd You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Janine Letford, keynote speaker and corporate trainer on intercultural creativity at Cafe Strategies. Hello Janine, absolutely lovely to meet you. I am so honored to be here. So let's start with an introduction. Um, I guess, how did you do it and why should I care? <laughs> well, what is it, right? And we're just living the dream here. I My background is in elementary education. So I was a third grade teacher and a K-5 music teacher for about 15 years and wow. loved it. The kids are great. The work is great. I And then I did a few things. I realized that there was a financial illiteracy crisis because I was in $100,000 worth of, of debt and didn't even know about fin finances. So I started a nonprofit called Alumni 360, where I got the graduates of my elementary school to come and meet with me once a month. You know, they're in high school now and few in college. And Aww. we talked about financial literacy, writing for scholarships, telling, telling your story of purpose and understanding the rules of wealth and money. And so that was that. And then I got to teach at the local university, Cal State University Northridge. And I taught teachers how to bring in the creative arts into their classroom and how to get their kids thinking creatively. And I'll talk a little bit, little bit more about that. And then I got the push, the scary push to leave the job, the secure check, the health benefits and go out on my own and start my own company called Cafe Strategies, which Cafe stands for Creative Advancement for Financial Empowerment, because our tagline is your creative health affects your financial wealth. And so mm -hmm. that's what I was doing. And then recently I, I, I pivoted a little bit and really went into intercultural creativity. And that's really, I believe, my gift to the world. That is awesome. So would you say there was one event in your life which uh, sort of sparked this transition or what inspired you to sort of start your own company and also explore intercultural creativity? Well, I say I didn't really leave the classroom. I just expanded my walls. So I'm always an educator, right? I'm a teacher by by heart, but teaching 20 kids at a time, amazing kids at a time uh, was amazing, but I felt the message that I have, that I have to give needed to go beyond the classroom walls and out to the world. And so people, I'm, I'm not sure who your demographic is watching this, but if people are just thinking about what that next step is, or they're not sure what their purpose is, it's really that self-awareness. You know, a lot of people are saying that, that term now, self-awareness and, um, empathy, you know, and all, all those, those buzzwords you're hearing now, but it's really critical to have good self-awareness. And I just felt in my heart, in my soul, mm -hmm. that it, it was time to, to jump and get this critical message out into the world. And so that's what made me take the leap six months before COVID hit. Wow. What a big leap. And especially before a pandemic, I'm sure it was a bit scary. Yes. Yes. But it's, 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 fear that can be translated into excitement. So mm -hmm. the, the physical responses for fear and excitement, excitement are all actually the, the same, you know, heart palpitations, sweaty palms, you know, just, and so when you rename the emotion, you have more, more control. Naming emotions are very, very critical in handling your emotions and making sure your emotions don't handle you. So yeah. I just renamed it. I'm not like when I go out on stage and speak i'm not fearful to speak i'm excited to speak and it really shifts my interaction with the whole experience 
Wow, I never thought of emotions in that way. And now that you mention it, excitement and fear are pretty much the same. It's just what you label them. Yes, yes, yeah. That is awesome. So from your transition from an elementary school teacher to starting your own company, what were the best resources along the way for you? You know, they really don't teach you all in high school or junior high and in college the value of your network. You hear it, you know, especially when you're in college, you hear it a little bit more. Oh, you're in your net network. And oh my goodness, the pandemic forced me to open up my net network. So my research and my books and my training is in creative thinking. And the number one indicator of a highly creative thinker is openness to experience. Mm. And the number one indicator of a highly intercultural competent person, you know, people who can interact with people from different backgrounds, is openness to different types of people. So when the pandemic hit, you know, I really wasn't on Zoom. Um, I jumped on LinkedIn every now and then, but now I like live on link, link, LinkedIn. I'm on Zoom and, and StreamYard all the time, but just the power of connecting. In fact, my first big contract came from someone who saw me, you know, speaking. They didn't even come to the whole LinkedIn event. They just saw a poster of me speaking and reached out. And then we just started talking back and forth. And then she had an opportunity to come up and she brought me on board to co-train with her. So I want people to understand that the power of your network is key. That's awesome. And I definitely would second that. And also an idea that your network can be vertical, but it also can be lateral. So you can learn so much from your peers as much from senior people. Yes. Yeah. So it, it and below you, mm-hmm. um, but they call it reverse mentorship. And so for me, learning from people who are younger than me, who are in different generations than me is key because they're experiencing things that I don't have access to. Mm-hmm. No, that's very important. And I never thought of it that way. Um, so amongst all of this sort of networking and mentorship, are there any lessons that you wish you would have learned before starting in your industry? Another soft skill, negotiation. I wish I would have been a better or still working on my negotiation skills and how I saw myself. What I'm doing is so powerful, especially at this time when there's, you know, racial unrest and there's United World Economic Forum called creativity, the number one skill needed in the workforce now. Mm. So everything I'm doing, my idea has hit the market at the right time. I'm the right person with the right idea at the right time. That's a trifecta. But if I don't see myself as valuable, if I don't see myself as valuable to get paid what I'm worth and what my ideas are worth, that can, that's my Achilles heel. So I really, you know, talk to people about this because I'm still going through it myself. You know, I had an episode today where I was like, oh, like, what do I charge this person? You know, Um, I really wish that I would have did some more identity training. And also my value isn't connected to money, but knowing that my ability to speak, my ability to train, my ability to coach, my ability to do all the work that I'm doing has a financial value. And it should be high because what I'm offering has not been offered anywhere else. Mm. But for me to think, oh, well, you know, I'll just do it for free. You know, I have to get out, out of that mindset. Yeah, for sure. Knowing your worth is definitely a struggle. Easier said than done. But I feel like once you know your worth, it makes you feel a lot more confident. Yes, yes, it does. Yes. So thinking about the span of your career, what would you say is your biggest failure? And what did you learn from it? Well, it's all about naming. So I don't really call them failures, but learning steps. Yeah. 
And I would say, let's see, I, I would say the fact that I did not count my facets as beautiful as they are. And when I say facets, my logo is the diamond. So I'm always like carrying around this huge diamond, oh, right? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, cause I want people to shine bright like a, a diamond. And I tell people, you know, all these facets are just different ways that you see the world. They're your different demographics. They're your different quirks about you and just your talents and your gifts to the world. No one has the same amount of facets in the same layout as you do you know all of your experiences are different and so one of my my facets is stuttering i went through years of speech therapy as a young child i still stutter today and so for me to say that i'm a global speaker a global keynote speaker who has dealt with a speech impediment i was ashamed of that for so long and oh. now it's i realize it's my superpower it's the mm -hmm. thing that makes me stand out because number one, public speaking is difficult for a lot of people, even if they don't have a speech impediment, correct? Mm -hmm. And so for someone who does have a speech impediment and those identity issues that come with having a speech impediment, the fact that I was still able to persevere and push through, I wish I would have learned that er later and uh, earlier in life because I really, I really reframed my stutter maybe mid thirties, mm -hmm. but had, had I learned that in high school, I could have wrote about it during scholarships, you know, to get scholar scholarships and to get um, to get support. And, you know, that's a great scholarship story. The fact that I'm doing what I'm doing, even though I stuttered, I could have I, I left thousands of dollars on the table just because I was ashamed of that story. And I didn't see it as a superpower. Wow, that's so interesting. And I honestly can't tell. So that's amazing. <laughs> um, what what advice would you give to somebody though who is looking to pursue a career similar to yours? Well, I do have to apologize on the behalf of the public school system for those people who went through it that we gave you your academics, right? You got your SATs, right? You know, you know, two plus two is four and then you know trig and you know your historical dates of the Civil War. What we didn't give you, which is crucial for the most part, some, some people may have gotten this, is those skills that actually really are needed for success. And so that's what I would tell people, no matter what field you're going in, but especially a field like mine, where you want to be seen as a thought leader, hmm. it's looking at the value of your ideas. No one wakes up saying, you know, I'm going to do one hour of idea training today or, you know, idea exercise. You know, we're focused on our body. We're focused on our diet. And maybe, you know, our reading ability, but the really to sharpen your, your ability to think of great ideas, there's actually cognitive things that, that you can do. And that's what I train on. But I would have people focus on the elements of communication. How do you communicate well? How do you tell stories well? How do you use metaphors to get your point across? How do you how do you persuade? And how do you know how to shift perspective and speak from someone's cultural point of view? And by culture, I don't necessarily mean ethnicity, even though that's one of them, but from their lived experience. Like, how do I see you? And I see, okay, I, I can kind of do my assumptions. You know, um, she's probably from this demographic or she's this age. You know, you told me that you're in school. So my brain is trying to piece together all these information. And of course, the best thing is to ask you questions, right? To yep. get more information from, from you, from your point of view. But then I'm still piecing all this information. So how's the best way that I can connect with you? 
because I have this information from you. That's cultural, uh, that's intercultural competence. So mm-hmm. for me to say, okay, well, Layla, you need to think about life the way I think about it. And if you don't, then you're wrong. That's very mono monocultural mindset. So yep. we want to work on getting to an intercultural mindset where people can shift perspectives and really connect with people from different lived backgrounds. And how do you think is the best way to do this, in, especially in the workplace these days? Obviously, just hiring more diverse people, is that enough? That is the first step because you want to be exposed to different. And when you say diverse, once again, you don't just mean ethnicity. There's so mm-hmm. many elements, right? So many facets on the diamond that that add to the diversity. But people think inclusion is just having diverse people, the intercultural developmental tools is what gets you from diversity to inclusion. And so there's different trainings and different tools and skill sets that you can do. Once again, openness to experience, you know, empathy, once again, and also learning about the artistic way of communicating. You learn about someone's experience through the arts as well. Um, there's ways to even hear how people are, are speaking and get emotional content from that. And of course, being curious. We, we train on uh, environmental curiosity, but we also train on cultural curiosity. Was it What does it look like to be culturally curious? And how do you do that respectfully without being offensive, right? Mm. Um, so there's so many things, but just like you wouldn't put a five-year-old into a trigonometry class because you know developmentally, they're probably not, there might be one or two in the world, right? But yeah. for the most part, there's probably not too many five-year-olds who are developmentally not there yet. But you'll never say you'll never get there. You, you just know there's things that that five-year-old needs to do before he gets to trig or she she gets to trig. It's the same way with intercultural development. It It's a developmental process. So you actually have to do things. You have to be engaged in self-awareness in other awareness and in cultural aware- awareness and take action. So that's the work that I do. That's the work that I love. I'm writing the book about it now, the first book on intercultural creativity. And I'm just so excited to bring it to the world. That is awesome to hear. Um, So I guess the stage is yours for the next question. But what is one common myth that you would like to debunk about your profession? Well, my topic is creativity. Mm. And when people hear the word creativity, they automatically think of artistry. Mm. And then... They are walking around saying, oh, I'm not creative because they can't sing like Whitney Houston. They can't dance like Justin Timberlake, you know. And so once you start saying things out loud, your subconscious takes a hold of it. So be very careful what you say out loud and what you put behind the words I am, right? Mm-hmm. I am not. And then you say, you know, creative. So your brain is saying, well, you're you're not creative, so I'm not even going to try. And so... I have to redefine the word creativity because it's a myth that it's just artistry. It's a myth that just a few people are highly creative are creative, and everyone else like, oh, well, sucks to be you, right? And so I'm saying it's not just artistry. Artistry is a part of it, but it's not just artistry. The new definition of creativity is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance value and novelty Hmm. your ability to conjure up new ideas now while i say i feel art the artists have kind of hijacked the word creativity and everyone thinks it's about them and so i'm not against artists because i am one myself but while creativity is the process of 
you know, developing new ideas. Artistry is a very important part of that because a background in the arts can enhance your ability to think creatively in non-arts fields, right? So your mm -hmm. best entrepreneurs, your best scientists, your best um, you know, engineers, your best bi botanists, they have a, a training in visual arts, painting, music, theater, improvisation. You know, you know how important improvisation classes. Yeah. And and um and yeah, those are transferable skills. So someone who who knows improvisation can transfer that to the boardroom. Someone who can paint well and see an item and paint it well can transfer that into looking at details with the invention that they're in invention. These are all transferable skills. So when we take the arts away from kids and when kids don't have a, uh, the opportunity to develop that skill, we're actually taking away methods of communication and methods of creative training for non-creative fields. I mean, for non-artistic fields, every mm. field is, is, is creative. Yes, for sure. And I definitely agree with what you said about what the World Economic Forum said about creativity being the number one skill, because at the end of the day, yeah, you can have the numbers skills, but you need to be creative because no day is the same. You've got to be able to really be flexible. This is true. This is true. And it is that adaptability, which is a huge skill and an attribute to have, especially during these times when yep. I don't care who you are, you have to be adaptable, right? Yeah. Yep. And and just yeah, the research is there. The research is all pushing for everything that I am talking about, speaking about, but sometimes I say it's kind of like moving the tight Titanic. You know, we know what to do. It's just we're trying to move the Titanic in the right direction and the iceberg is right there and we're going to hit it unless we start to shift and pivot faster. For sure. But I'd love to find out more about you as a person. You seem super interesting. So what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you? Sure. I am. Well, because I have a background in elementary arts, I always have like props, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is the brain in case you have an audio version and someone can't see me. But this is the brain. I have a model version of the brain. And I'm just, I love, I love knowledge. I love how the brain works. So what I'm reading right now, it's a book called The Leader's Brain by Michael Platt. He's the neuroscientist out of the Wharton School, the Wharton Business School over at mm -hmm. Penn State. And it just really goes into what's going on in your brain when you're trying to connect with other people, even over, over Zoom. What's going on in your brain when you want to be a leader and you have to learn how to lead people who have different backgrounds? What's going on in your brain when you need to make decisions? So there's chemicals. Like I can look at your pupils if I have the right tools and see how creative you are by how big your pupils are at their resting state. Oh, I mean, wow. <laughs> that is fascinating. So check out this book. I believe this should be mandatory reading for anyone who works with people. If you work with machines or by yourself, don't worry about it. But if you're working at least with one person, you need to know what's going on under the hood. Another part about me, I love to karaoke sing. Like I said, our, our artistry is important to me. Creativity is a lot more than just artistry, but artistry is a big part of my life. So I sing and I found out that I don't stutter when I sing. I've discovered that really long ago. So I would sing a lot more because I never had to deal with my stutter. And for some reason, people who stutter, especially people who stutter really, really bad, they don't stutter when they sing. I don't know. But um, and then I've been in mu music and we did theater. I just love I'm very animated right I, I bring things to life but working with children you have to be at a certain level of <laughs> enthusiasm you can't be like Bueller Bueller um, but it transferred to working in the corporate world as well because you know, who wants to sit and watch someone you know lecture in a boring way for two hours I know I don't 
For sure, for sure. Um, I, my next question to you would be, who are three people in your life who have been the most influential to you? Well, I'm pretty sure you might get this answer a lot, but for me, the first one is my mother. And I say that I'm not the inventor of intercultural creativity. She is because mm. she gave us a, a home, a culture. You know, a home is just a culture. A, a culture just means a group of people within systems and values and beliefs. So yeah. you can have like a soccer mom culture, right? Or the football <laughs> culture. Um, yeah. but, but she created a culture in our home of intercultural creativity. She had us around people from different lived backgrounds. She had us traveling like to Niagara Falls. And we were like, you know, single parent home, not a lot of money, but she somehow made it work because she knew openness to experience was a key driver of our creativity and our learning processes. You know, it's one thing to read about the White House and Niagara Falls and the lakes of Canada in a book. It's another thing to stand there. And it's another thing to really experience it with your whole self, all of your senses. She really believed in multi-sensory learning, not mm -hmm. just from reading in a book. And I love books, but if she had the opportunity to open up learning through all of our senses, she took it. And the stories we have, like they're hilarious. But that, so she's the first person. Another person is Abraham Lincoln. I mean, in my classroom, I had a whole wall dedicated to him. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and it's, um, I, I have all his quotes. I have like like about 10 books in my library about him and his speeches. And for, why was I, I was drawn to him around the sixth grade and haven't left since. I, I studied the Civil War in depth. And the fact that he rose literally from nothing, right? He only had maybe about four or three years of official schooling mm. to, the, to the top office in the world because, you know, America um, def definitely, well, at that time, not, not really, but def definitely now the presidential seat is, is one of the highest seats. Just his perseverance and his ability, here's the key, his ability to have a team of rivals, meaning he didn't get people on his team that thought like, you know, all thought like him. It was his entourage and his yes man team. He didn't do that. He got people on his team that would speak up if they didn't dis if they didn't agree. And he mm -hmm. got people on his team that were, you know, even before his election that were against him. But he knew wow. that they were the best person for the job. Right. Mm. Um, uh, Chase, Sam, Sam, Sam and Chase and and his whole cab cabinet. He knew how to get the dream team together. And that is really, I think, why I'm not enslaved today, you know, because he's in, he was a, um, a piv pivotal part of changing that, even though we still have yeah. a lot of a lot of work to do. But, you know, he said in the film or his character's said, you know, this document has to be signed, not just for the millions who are enslaved today, but for the millions who have yet to come. And he was talking about me. And mm -hmm. so his work and his tenacity and his focus and his ability to learn from anyone, even if they were an enemy, was key. For sure. Very important. And finally, to finish off our conversation, at any point in your life, is there any advice that you wish you gave yourself? I usually ask this question when I meet older people, especially people who are doing very well. And I used to use my age. So I'm like, yeah, 25. Like, what would you tell your 25-year-old self? The first thing would be be aware of yourself, 
be aware of your emotions and, and it's okay to, to talk to yourself. You know, kids do it all the time. Why, why do the kids have all the fun and then we get adults and we just don't do anything? Like, be aware of yourself, love yourself, and then give yourself. It, it's hard to give something that, that you don't have or that, you know, you're not, you're not loving. So for me to come to grips with my stutter, come to grips with a lot of my identity issues that a lot of us have, especially, you know, as women, as women of color, we're in a culture that hasn't really put us on the, you're awesome pedestal, you know? So we have to combat that, that mental image of what the media has been telling us about what's beautiful. If you don't fit their image of beauty, then that means you're not beautiful. I no longer live by that. So I, I'm aware of myself. I love myself and I'm able to give myself, meaning give my wisdom, give my time, give my knowledge to help other people live better lives. That is awesome. And what a lovely note to finish on. So thank you so much, Janine, for talking with me today. It was absolutely lovely to get to know you and hear more about intercultural creativity. Thank you. And don't forget, I'm a part of your network now. So if you need anything from me, please feel free to reach out. I'm here. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.